The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast here on the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always to give a little bit of a in-ring insight, I guess, is the King, Joshua Goodwin. How are we doing, my friend? I'm doing all right, Sai. We are in week eight, and do you know what that means? It means we've hung around longer than Liz Truss. <laughs> and my favorite. My favorite part about that, Joe, because if someone's listening to this in like three, five, ten years, they probably won't know what I'm talking about. No, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. What a shambles this country is. But there we go. <laughs> Absolute shit show. Oh, you got to laugh. I've always just ended up crying, haven't you? Pretty well. But that's what we're here for, a little escapism. Hopefully so, my friend. Hopefully so. Uh, and today, hopefully, providing that escapism is the ep- NXT episode that was first broadcast on the 15th of August 2012 uh, from Full Sail as Normal. Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag, this one, I think, Joshua. But I mean, we'll get into it in a moment. Um, before we do, what else, I guess, was going on around the wrestling world this particular week in history? Uh, have you got the Goodwin Report for us there, my friend? It just so happens that I do, Si. The Goodwin Report. Uh, and it's an interesting little slice of life, actually. Um, so with Raw, we've got Let's see, R-Truth defeated Heath Slater, who's like one of the only NXT alums that feature on this show. Uh, Caitlin tag-teamed with Layla, who at the time was Divas Champion. Do you remember Layla? 
Oh yeah, she was. Wasn't she part of uh, associated with Mashama Cool for a while? Yeah, they um yes. they had they had the women's belt split in half like a little best friend charm. Do you remember? Oh yeah, bloody hell! I totally forgot about that until you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, best oh. left forgotten if you ask yeah. me. But there what you a go. Horrible. <laughs> Just a terrible, horrible concept. Like the the women's division was given that little time that you had to split one of the titles between mm. two people just to get some people on the air. Anyway, they defeated Beth Phoenix and Eve Torres. Um, and in the main event of this show, it was Damien Sandow, another NXT alum, although on a technicality defeating Christian. And okay. if that doesn't, and if that doesn't sound like a raw main event, that's because it wasn't the last 20 minutes of the show were devoted to Brock Lesnar having essentially kidnapped hbk and then broke his arm with a kimura right so okay. it was a I lot remember, of, it was a lot of cat him, and mouse sorry yeah, him, so no apologies for interrupting but <laughs> i remember brock breaking triple h's arm with the kimura because they had a match at i want to say SummerSlam. would that have been this year yeah that's the match that this is leading to i think okay. that he was he'd already broken triple h's arm at some point i think he lost to cena and then I think some sort of shenanigans happened that resulted in him breaking his arm. So he was suspended when in actuality he was just off doing Brock Lesnar things, probably mm-hmm. on his farm shooting things. And good thing. Bales <laughs> of hay around or some shit. I don't know. Throwing bales of hay around, all, all sorts. <laughs> Whatever, you know, big burly cowboy men do. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of the women's division, over on SmackDown, we have Caitlin again. And she wrestles Eve Torres with a unique stipulation. Would you like to know the unique stipulation, Si? Of course. The winner will become Booker T's assistant. Oh, what a prize to behold. What a prize to (laughs) behold. Women's wrestling has come a long, long way. We are certainly still divas at this stage, Si. Oh, my goodness. Why would anyone actually really legit want that? Why would they want to be Booker T's assistant? Yeah, I mean... Why would anyone fight for the right to carry paperwork and just I don't know sta- stand in the corner of a room? I guess f- in reality, it's regular screen time. Mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> say Eve Torres won that one. Uh, other than that, Cesaro defeated Zack Ryder, and the main event was Alberto Del Rio defeating Chris Jericho. Um, okay. Out into the wider world of professional wrestling, we come a little bit closer to our neck of the woods side because. On the 17th of August, which was the same night as the SmackDown aired, we had Attack Pro Wrestling. Right. And they had a show called More Spots Than Acne, which should give you <laughs> give you some indication of the sort of flavor that they were going for. And you had a very, very, very young-looking Pete Dunne wrestling uh, Lee Hunter in a match that was considered by the one review on Cage match to be the match of the night. Uh I didn't watch the match side. I wasn't going to pay the ten pounds that they wanted for me to pay for the ten-year-old pay-per-view. Uh, I'm sure it was grand. You didn't happen to be the one person who reviewed it, were you? No, no, that's not me. No, no. Okay, well, we'll just take their word for it. But that concludes the Goodwin report. Pete Dunn in 2012. He must have been what six years of age. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I knew of him. I think I'd met him around that sort of time and yeah he was he looked like an infant he really did <laughs> right <laughs> oh why 
Brilliant stuff as always, though. Brilliant stuff as always. Uh, back to NXT, however, and we don't start this episode with our usual uh, intro, fanfare, music, and so on. We start backstage, and we have a little bit of a promo from Richie Steamboat, which is then interrupted by Jinder Mahal. And they're just kind of doing the bog standard. This means everything to me. I've got this great opportunity. Then Jinder arrives to say, this opportunity is not going to work out for you, pal, because I'm going to beat you and, and all that sort of stuff. And then we do get our intro, don't we, Joshua? We do. Um, with that little interaction, I don't know about you, but I think that if people get nose to nose and then they don't wind up like swinging or shoving or something, it kind of looks a bit phony. Yeah. Especially if there's, if there's nothing but little old Briley Pierce in the way of you. Yeah. <laughs> He was a funny one. This guy, uh, Pierce, he pops up a few times throughout the show, doesn't he? And he seems really, really happy that he's there. He seems really happy about this job he has, but ends up spending most of the time on his own on screen as the people he's talking to walk away, looking just kind of confused. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. I think that's the only thing I could say about him is he's fine. He looks a little bit like Dolph Ziggler. And he's fun. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. NXT correspondent, I think, is the title he gave himself. So, Sure, why not? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, the show starts properly, however, with Jinder versus Richie Steamboat. And, I mean, I've got a note here saying that Richie Steamboat's entrance theme, I'm not sure if we've mentioned it beforehand, but this is like prime 1993 WCW shit, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit dirty. I mean, it suits him since he's essentially the carbon copy of his dad. But yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't even explain who he is. Unlike say Jinder Mahal, who's got the very uh, leaning into the ethnic stereotype there with his music. Yeah, very generic kind of Asian style music. But instantly, you know, when that hits, this is going to be a character of that ilk. Whereas with Steamboat's music. It could be any. It could be Paul Orndorff from 1993. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it could be. It's another trip down into the Turner Library, the Turner Vault, yes. just generic music. Fourteen. Yeah, and again, as much as I really want Steamboat to be fantastic, because I was a big, big fan of his dad, this little exchange with Jinder before the musical intro, and then the generic music when he comes out and his entrance himself it's just not working for me. He's, as I think I said a few weeks ago, I think he's a wrestler primarily. So he will take a little longer to grow on you. If that, if you get what I mean, like you mm -hmm. probably thrilled with Bret Hart the very first time you saw him. Uh, that being said, um, he's just too much like his dad for me. Like it's okay. just an absolute carbon copy. Um, the world has moved on a little bit. Um, but at the same time, like it's just too much of the same thing. Like, and the thing as well is, uh, to me, he's got the surname Steamboat. So obviously, we, we had a conversation before, didn't we, about how second or third generation wrestlers have got that tricky decision to make: do they, you know, do they run with this, or do they sort of try and go against it? Or it, sometimes it can be a bit of a burden, but. Richie Steamboat's issue is, I think, that Ricky Steamboat is one of the all-time greats to ever do it. The guy was so, so good. And, I mean, it's still very early days in his career, but Richie Steamboat just isn't as good as his dad once was. 
he isn't and he's i doubt he's ever gonna be it's another yeah. it's the problem of being a junior like you're never gonna you're never gonna top rick flair just being rick flair like if the rock had like if you had the rock junior it it's not gonna land the same you could do the exact same stuff you could it's one of those situations where you probably do need to take it in a different direction. And I think it's something that Richie would have struggled to do just because he's so much like his dad in terms of the way he looks in terms of the way he works. Um, it's just too much of a carbon copy. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame, <laughs> but there we go. Um, I struggle to get into this match. I'm not going to lie. You know uh, who- was, sorry. So we have got, we have got the, the, the good bad dynamic here it's very clear and obvious right from the bat who we're supposed to be supporting and who we're supposed to be booing but i i kind of struggled to get into this and the crowd weren't exactly you know very vocal themselves either how, how did you find this it was fairly unambitious in terms of what they did mm. um I don't know if that was an edict that came down again. It has to be remembered that at this time, especially like it was still a training school. And so they are probably still following instructions. Um, yeah, it, it was a bit flat. Like no one's overly enamored with gender yet. No one really cares who steamboat is yet. And in terms of not catching your imagination, I'll tell you someone's whose imagination it certainly didn't capture. And that's JR. Yeah. My yeah. Christ, he was asleep throughout this match. As I remember because I watched it and I was like, what is it about this match that feels so flat? And I feel like as a viewer, it was the commentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, Byron Saxton, who incidentally was the third man from a few weeks ago, was putting in a shift. Um, Regal himself, like he's very knowledgeable, but he's quite subdued. Um, JR was saying all the right things. I just feel like he'd had a bit too much Horlicks before this match. Like he just didn't okay. get into it. And I feel like that might've been one of the reasons that it felt flat because it was, he had that very dry delivery. And I feel like later on he has some, um, he's in the main event and he definitely perks up a bit. And I think it helps. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, uh, the, 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 the commentator for any show is, it's a well-known sort of cliche, I guess, isn't it? They're providing the soundtrack to what the viewer is watching if you are drab and slow and just naming moves and it's all monotone and so on, I suppose what goes on in the ring, you're going to take away from because it, it could be like the best match ever. But if your commentary is drab and slow and monotone, you're going to take away from the viewing uh, experience, the, the, taking in the whole package altogether. Whereas other way round, if a match isn't particularly good or if it is a bit stay on the slow side or the boring side a good commentator could in theory create excitement or try and help tell the story by giving i suppose uh more excitement than necessary over the uh, audio side of things yeah i wouldn't even say it's necessary that you have to like overdo it but you just have to react like so there was a period of time where richie steamboat went for a flurry of pins mm-hmm, to yep. um and i would compare that to if it were a football match and you've got the ball like near the goal because again the object of the the a wrestling match is to win so yes. if you've got a lot of chances to nearly win the excitement of the commentator like if it were john motson 
and the ball's like in the goal on the goal line, he's probably going to raise his energy levels a little. And that's something that didn't happen with this. And I feel like that's one of the things that let it down for, I mean, the, the actual pinfall attempts themselves were a little clunky and a little bit slow. So I can see why it didn't set like JR, like his world on fire, but his role in that, his responsibility is to inject it with that excitement, especially when like, I mean, you watch the Attitude Era and one of the big things about it was that JR always had that energy. He was always on and mm. it didn't matter what he was working with. Like he could make anything sound like it was the best thing ever. And I think he, he just didn't put a shift in with this match. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, a few, uh, I was going to say high spots, but I that may be stretching it a little bit, but a few uh, sort of the more memorable moments Jinder Mahal hits a, a hangman, as the commentators call it, on a Richie Steamboat, draping him across the top rope. That looked relatively uncomfortable. Yeah, that was another good one. I mean, whoever was in the PC to- teaching hangmans or stun guns, we've seen a few of them yes. so far. They deserve a raise. They were doing very well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have the the Steamboat arm drags, of course, which are going to come out, You know, regardless of the situation, because that was something his dad was very famous for. Again, several pin attempts by Steamboat, a net breaker by Mahal, which I thought looked pretty spectacular. Mm. And then Richie Steamboat misses a move from the top rope, but it looked like he landed quite low on his back, almost on his on his, on his tailbone. Yeah, that would be my takeaway from that, was he did land on his tailbone. It was, oh, I would not have wanted to take that. That was mm. a very uncomfortable looking bump. Um, <laughs> yeah, although... You know, if he didn't have the sling blade as his finish, he could have teased something else, like maybe a cross body and just missed that. Yeah. And it yeah. might have even got a great reaction because it's not it, it's not something that he'd done before, so it didn't get a great reaction in terms of the build-up. Uh, but it is another reason why I feel like he had to go for that because if the sling blade had ways to reverse it, it would have been a better way to get into it. Not to harp on anything that I want to say because, heck, what do I know? <laughs> a damn sight more than me i'll tell you that uh from this missed top rope move however we get jinder's camel clutch and eventually a tap out by steamboat i've just got a note here saying this could have been much better yeah i think so again i think like briley pierce it was fine it was unambitious that would be my main thing is like they're not really trying too hard at this one like they, they're playing it safe and again that might have been a directive it might have been coming down from on high but my main takeaways from this one other than everyone's a bit sleepy is they were really hammering home the camel clutch mm. that would be one thing like they, they really hammered home the camel clutch throughout the whole show like they were talking about how it at, by the end of this show the camel clutch by jinder mahal is the most dangerous move in the history of wrestling i remember that uh JR saying that uh, he rode the camel clutch all the way through to the finals, which made me think, do they have many camels in India? I, I don't, I, do you know what? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think they do. And it's another no, one of those, like awkward ethnic things, which actually throughout this whole show, kind of prevalent. But no, do you know what? Until you mentioned that, that's never <laughs> even entered my, we're eight weeks in. We've seen quite a bit of gender. I, I, I've never even, that's never passed my mind. I don't. I think you're right. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. And since we're on the subject of things that we hadn't noticed this far in, have you noticed that the entrance ramp is on the right-hand side? Yeah. Yeah. 
Have you, have you noticed that it's normally on the left-hand side for literally every other television that they do? It is normally on the left-hand side for WWE TV. Yeah, that's so strange. But I'm so used to seeing it on the right-hand side. I didn't again. I didn't even bat an eyelid. Yeah, oh. it was. Some, it was something I was going to bring up later, but I, I saw the opportunity and I took it. So. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what as well. The camera angles seemed a little bit more on the normal side this week to what we. Yeah, planned. I'd I'd say so. I think the. Uh, the experiment has played out and they've gone, nah, we like how we've done it all this time. It seems to work. Let's stick with that. Let's go back to what we've done for the last, you know, 30 years. <laughs> Only 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Uh, speaking of Mr. Pierce backstage, he interviews friend of the show, Leo Kruger. And I'm just wondering, is, is he high here? Is, is... <laughs> I mean, first of all, he removes his turf which was a bit of an odd one. I don't 100% catch what he's saying. Um, but at the same time, as weird as this little segment was, it's very memorable to me, more so than when we've had other kind of one-person promo spots where it's very generic and they're kind of saying the obvious or tr- trying to get themselves over. A lot of those kind of all blend into one. This one, whether it is because it was a bit weird or a bit different or, you know, the accent is you being used or whatever, it stands out as different. So I, I kind of take it as a little bit more memorable than everything else. Yeah, I'd say it was, it certainly was memorable. I smell a repackage come inside. Okay. Like you, I smell like the whole South African aristocrat might have seen the end of his days and we might be looking at something else. And as I said, it's definitely a WWE thing. If, uh, if all else fails, we'll just lean into the ethnic thing. Cause they ramped up the South Africanness to the mm. point where he sounded like King Julian from Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm disappointed because I right. thought Leo Kruger wasn't broken. But I think it goes into the whole idea of timing. And it wasn't Leo Kruger's time, primarily because Jinder Mahal has shown up on the main roster a few months before. And so the idea of having the exact same thing, more like just more of the same character, just in a slightly different package, I think has really hurt Leo Kruger. So I think (laughs) we're maybe going to get a different Leo Kruger in the weeks to come. And I, for one, am not especially happy about it. Well, yeah, it is something that we've touched upon quite often, isn't it, here on, on Rise and Fall, that you do have the two characters doing very similar things. And Jinder is, I suppose, further along in his timeline with regards to establishing himself and his career and so on. So you're not going to repackage him, I guess, are you? So literally by elim- process of elimination, what you're left with, I guess? Yeah, I think Jinder's more established, at least on the main roster, um i this isn't i'm not certain but i feel like leo kruger had spent a lot of time in fcw i'm pretty sure he was fcw champion i think jinder just went straight to the main roster i think that he was a guy who they clearly had plans for again india's always been a big market for the wwe they've always wanted to try and break into it they've had a few experiments with jinder winning the wwe title with carly winning the title a few years back well, a few more years back. Um, and I don't necessarily think Leo Kruger was someone they had big plans for. I think he was one of the guys who they wanted to bring other people along. Like he was already, right. he already had a bit of experience. That much is clear from his work. 
Um, but he wasn't necessarily the guy. It's like, okay, we're going to go with you. It was more like, we're going to use you to impart your knowledge on some of the guys who we want to make SARS. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, we're going to sort of do our usual little sort of deviations here and there, I guess. But you mentioned there uh, the, the sort of experiments or, or, you know, dipping their toe in the Indian waters, so to speak. With regards to Jinder Mahal and his WWE title reign, and then the great Carly and his world title reign, how do you feel those experiments went? Um, I mean, I don't necessarily have the expertise because I'm not Indian and I don't okay. have the, and I don't have the data in front of me. That being said, I know that India is a massive market for pro wrestling. Like wrestling is one of the national sports. Um, I I personally believe it's a big untapped market. If anyone right. who knows me knows that when I bang on about wrestling, that I think that India is one of the places it, it should be up there with like Mexico and Japan, but has kind of been under, um, it's not been really, it's a vein of an audience that I don't think has really been mined yet. Okay, and, I think, right. and I think it will take s- some brave soul to stretch out there because there's a massive market in India. So I can completely understand why the WWE would try to like get some of that, some of that audience. And they do like, I'm pretty sure that I, again, I'm not certain of this, but I think a massive amount of their YouTube audience is supposed to be from India. Mm, yeah. That's, yeah. I read that somewhere as well. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's leaving money on the table not to, I, I appreciate that people didn't, like the especially the Jinder Mahal experiment they didn't like I know that Brock Lesnar definitely didn't like the Jinder Mahal experiment because have you heard the story about I think it was two weeks out that Lesnar found out he was fighting Mahal and was like no I'm not <laughs> like, nah, that is not that is not box office for me brother yeah <laughs> and very quickly AJ Styles wound up with the title wouldn't you know mm. see you mentioned there like the sort of untapped market and so on and I think you're absolutely spot on and it, they almost all sort of broke ground over there, I, I guess, is one way of putting it, when they were looking at doing the the different NXTs, weren't they? We had the NXT UK, and they were going to mm-hmm. set up other... And there was an NXT Japan they were talking about for a little while, and they tried to get, go ahead and set that up. And NXT Asia, I think, was the another one they were looking at, at being very heavily based as India, as like the, the, the home, I guess, or the at least the starting point of that. But that never really came around. So I don't know whether this new NXT Europe that we hear Triple H talking about is the first point to another attempt at expansion going in that direction. I'm not sure. I mean, it could be. I think I think the fact is that COVID knackered a lot of things for a lot of people. Yeah. It, it knackered a lot of plans, as I'm sure that we'll get into in about 10 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very true, very true. I, with regards to the Jinder Mahal uh, title reign, I, I'm one of those very, very few people who actually quite liked it. It was something different. I didn't hate it. I mm. don't think anyone can be a star, anyone of a certain level. Like once you, if, if you've made it to the WWE, there's a good chance that you could be WWE champion. There's nothing that means you can't because your level of talent is such that if you're booked in that way, there's no reason why not because ultimately no one's really winning and no one's really losing yeah that's fair enough it was also good fun as well seeing randy orton just bouncing the sing brothers around for a few weeks wasn't it that, that always made me giggle 
It sure was. There's <laughs> <laughs> some good times. Uh, we got a bit of an odd one for me next on the NXT show. I can understand why, because of where they are, but it didn't seem to fit with what NXT is for me. Heath Slater arrives and calling himself the one man band baby and all this sort of stuff over and over again. And effectively issues an open challenge, which he issues several times before he actually gets a response. And I was really excited to see who was going to, you know, answer this call. I mean, are we going to see somebody debut? Is this going to be a new guy from NXT? Or is, is this going to be somebody from NXT who could potentially uh, defeat the main roster Heath Slater and get a little bit of a bump in, in, them, in their character development there? But we got Scotty too hotty. And I was like, this is, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a little bit of a curveball. Um, I, I knew that Scotty made an appearance a little later on with uh, Brian Christopher, uh, but I didn't remember this one. And yeah, it certainly caught me off guard. Uh, I think that it was a situation where he happened to be there and they were using a bit of his star power. And he probably is the most most well-established star that NXT has seen so far, even if he is a blast from the past. I mean, he's mm. certainly the most famous face that I've punched personally. <laughs> right. And that was just an abuser. That was like, you know, down in a Weber spoon <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, so you've worked with Scotty too hotty then. I worked with Scotty too hotty in April of this year. Okay. And, and tell us a little bit about that experience. How did that go? Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, um, no, it was a big old six man. Uh, he turned up around a half hour before we went on. Um, he didn't so much mail. He didn't so much phone it in as he did text it. So, right. okay. <laughs> and and I can't say as I blame him because he was just there on his holidays getting paid to do it and working with a bunch of people he'd never heard of and didn't much care for. But yeah, he didn't really put a shift in, bless him. But he was over as heck, so he kind of didn't need to. And it's something that we'll see in this match. Mm. Well, this is it. Here, the Crider, it's a complete difference to what we had with Jinder in the opener and uh obviously the, the the guy they were trying to or hoping would get a reaction in the opener richie steamboat scotty gets a reaction for everything he does he gets a reaction for his music he gets a reaction for the way he comes to the ring standing in the corner clapping his hands he gets a reaction for that literally everything he does the crowd are reacting to it's such a difference to what we saw with steamboat earlier it certainly is it's proof that when you're over you're over mm-hmm and so you can do, I wouldn't say no wrong, I'd say less wrong. But yeah. also, it's something you see a lot of young wrestlers do when they pander. I can't think of a better way to describe it. Like, you know, they they want that audience approval, right? Mm-hmm. Scotty can do that because he's earned their trust. He's established that he's a good wrestler, that they like him, and therefore they will give him adulation, not for nothing, but for the things he's done before. So if you are a completely clean slate to an audience and you're going out there and you're attempting to like slap hands and that, like you'll get that from little kids just because I don't know, that's just what they want to do. But until you've yeah, shown that they're, they're, they're buzzing to be there, aren't they? Yeah, they're just happy to be there. Yeah. Um, but until you've shown the people something, I wouldn't necessarily try and seek that approval until you've done something to earn it essentially. Mm. 
again, I suppose that comes back to how difficult it can be, especially in modern day wrestling, how, how difficult it can be to be that very much sort of white meat baby face, isn't it? It's a very difficult thing to do, especially, I think it's difficult to do more so now than it's ever been in the wrestling business because a lot of people enjoy cool heels. Austin, regardless of how popular he was, the guy was, the guy's character, he was a baby face, but the guy's character was effectively a heel. Let's be honest. The NWO was, uh, were, were cool heels. And I don't think it's ever really changed since then. So, the internet's got a fair bit to answer for because everyone suddenly got smart or smart in parentheses in that they acquired some knowledge, but not necessarily any wisdom. Yeah. Um, and it kind of broke down the barriers of just how, because everyone always knew, oh, they're not really fighting, but it made it very difficult for a lot of people to suspend disbelief. Mm. I feel. Um, and without a vested interest in someone winning and someone losing, you just have like the spots, you have the fireworks as it were, as I've mentioned before. Yeah. Um, and I think that hurts it a lot. Um, I also think, yeah, the world we live in maybe is a little, is a little bit more, uh, it's a little less black and white. We live in an age of anti-heroes. Um, I also think that wrestling shot itself in the foot when it did everything. Like they, they said ECW, is a good example where, you know, they threw everything in the kitchen sink into their matches and everyone did everything. And from the opening bell, you had from the opening bell of match one, you had chair shots and people coming off the top rope and people diving out balconies. And I can't remember who to attribute the quote to, but they said at ECW, we broke all the rules and then find out why they had the rules. Right. Yeah. But by that point, like the, by that point, the rules have been broken and you've seen it. Mm. Um, it's very difficult now. Like, for example, you couldn't get heat by punching someone in the face anymore yeah. because everyone punches each other in the face, despite the fact that it's illegal. Right. Like to the point where referees don't even admonish you anymore. Mm. Um, so that hurts, but it's not as if people don't still get mad about breaking the rules. Like you watch a, again, going back to football, if you see a goal that's allowed, that's offside, people are still foaming at the mouth and think it's the worst thing ever. Never mind. Like if it's a handball, my God, you want to lynch them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's a, that's a fair element of what's happened is there's a lot of wrestling having shot itself in the foot, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. It's, it's a completely different business, isn't it? And the, and the internet, as you said, it had such a dramatic effect on it. Yeah. <laughs> so much right, but so much wrong. But I think that's, that can be a, that can be attributed to so many different things, as, uh, different businesses as well. I mean, I, I you look at the music industry. To me, the internet and what it did for the music industry is fantastic. You can literally a, any song I think of right now, within thirty seconds, I will be able to press play on that track just on my mobile phone. This little computer I carry in my pocket. However, yeah. now all the bands for me, the consumer, that's fantastic. Yeah. And again, like like the wrestling fan, get, you know, finding stuff out and all that. For me, the consumer, it's fantastic. But for the performers, not so much. The bands are making no more money, and we're not going to get big, massive rock stars anymore simply because th that those days are gone. And I don't think we're going to ever be able to go back to the days of good versus evil, for want of a better term, in wrestling because those days are definitely gone. And the, uh, I think the internet, for all the positives it's given. There are big negatives as well. Yeah. 
Well, I think it wouldn't be impossible to for us to go back to good versus evil. I do think it would require some sort of hard reset, and I don't mm. think it's going to happen. It would be like in the music industry if everyone said, right, from now on, no more piracy, no more downloads. You're all buying your CDs in the shop again, and yep. we're going to actually put stock into the top 40. Because like even during my lifetime, the, the top 40 was a big fucking deal, and now... Yeah. Now it doesn't matter. Like you need to sell like fifteen copies of a song to make it into the top forty. Mm. Oh yeah, totally. I can remember getting excited when, say, the new Iron Maiden album would come out when I was thirteen or something like that, and I'd literally be stood outside outside our price potentially, <laughs> waiting for it to open to buy the CD. Different times, my friend. Different times. Mm. But there we go. Back to Scotty Too Hotty. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Regal here has a line that really popped me. He called Heath Slater a silly ginger get. Yeah. And, oh, my word. It's just such a an English <laughs> turn of phrase. But honestly, I literally just roared whilst watching. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. He's got a few regalisms. I won't spoil them. But yeah, that yeah. one was quite good. Um, Absolutely brilliant. Just talking about how punchable his face is. And then, and then kind of got a little bit inside baseball with it by talking about how it was such a good thing. <laughs> but then had to quickly backtrack because <laughs> he was talking about how it, get, how it would get inside his opponent's head as opposed to going, oh, it generates great heat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I love Regal. He's fantastic. He's a good uh, boy. As I said, he, he's somewhat subdued in his delivery, but the stuff that he actually says is gold. Mm, yes. I think the way his delivery is uh, very um, much spot on for who he is at this point. Yeah. Yes, he's absolutely. Not, he's not the shouty, ranty, angry heel or anything like that. He's very much the English guy on commentary giving his opinion. And I think it really, it's perfect delivery for who his, his, he is or his character is. Yeah. I think he plays the third man on a commentary team very well. Mm. I think that he plays like that analyst. So you've got, you know, you normally have play by play color. If yeah. you've got that analyst, he's the perfect analyst because he's the guy who can like dissect a thing. And like break it down because often he'll he'll just talk about like there was a, a moment in the main event where he discusses um McGillicuddy hits a site of suplex and he says about how why the reason that site of suplex is so good is because it was taught to him by Massa Saito and it's things yeah. like that where it's like that's spot on for what Regal needs to be doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's still doing it to this day, isn't he, with AEW as well. So Yeah, and calling Excalibur a tasty little ham sandwich. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that cracks me up. Uh, eventually, Scotty wins with the worm, which is a move, I suppose. It's a funny one for me because it's the same as people's elbow. It it gets a reaction, which, of course, is what you want. But the move itself is a little bit on the crap side. It's over. That's the only mm. thing I can say about it. It's The move is over and anything can get over, as yeah. we've seen. I mean... You want to talk about things that are a little ridiculous. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. For example, in this day and age, that like you've got Maxwell Jacob Friedman knocking people out with the ring on his finger and yes. never breaking that finger. Yeah. So you know, as as ridiculous as one thing is, they, everything's just that little bit more ridiculous when you dig into it. It's like the Irish whip. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh mate, I, I, that's so strange. I was thinking about this af- this afternoon. I got no idea why that popped in my head, but I was thinking about the Irish whip this afternoon and how daft it is. But there we go. That's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've seen Scotty Duhotty win with that move 
I think well, the amount of times I've seen it, I think I could probably count on one hand. Sure, sure. I, and then that's, you know, it. there's no reason why it couldn't. I think it was just his position on the card meant that he didn't win as often. Like, yeah. I mean, Santino Morella was winning match after match with the Cobra. And as you said, to go even higher, like The Rock was winning, was be- winning world titles with the People's Elbow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, it's the reaction you want, isn't it? As opposed to what it is that's getting the reaction, I suppose, sometimes. If if something works, it doesn't necessarily matter why it works. It just works. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, after this little sort of uh, Attitude Era cameo by Scotty, I guess, Bo Dallas is backstage with our friend, the NXT consultant, and he's talking about his defeat last week in the tournament before Derek Bateman arrives and has a little conversation with him. And it's similar to how you said we're seeing a change in Leo Kruger earlier. We're definitely seeing a change in Bateman here, aren't we? He's definitely being a smarmy little slimy git. He is. He is. Yeah, giving giving, uh, Bo the little pep talk while also giving him the backhanded, yeah, well, you tried your best, but you couldn't get it done. It's mm-hmm. it's very much building on the interaction we saw with them a few weeks back. And little shout out to you and Scottish Danny with Nitro Nights. I'm getting some distinct Lex Luger and Sting vibes from this. How about you? Okay. I'll tell you what, I didn't make that comparison until you said that, but now you've brought it up. I can see where you where you're getting that from and what you mean. Because it is that kind of when's it gonna happen, what's going on. <laughs> sort of odd couple dynamic isn't it it also tells me si that neither sting nor bo dallas ever watched the tv show because <laughs> one because <laughs> one look and you'd be like wait a minute yeah yeah i mean with sting we've already established is the most gullible wrestler of all time so i don't think i think he could actually watch the tv show <laughs> and still wouldn't twig <laughs> there's something about those fiery white meat baby face isn't it yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I like the fact that he calls Bo Dallas his little protege as well. That was that was quite cool. Not yeah, Sting, well, obviously. I mean, I mean Bateman. <laughs> hey, may, maybe in years to come, Bateman mm. did do that as EC3. I I can't say as I saw it. Um, but yeah, it was like just nice little little bits of storytelling. I tell you what, the storytelling's really making up for the fact that the wrestling on this show has been pretty pretty crap. Yes. Or, yes. or maybe crap's not fair because the execution's been fine. It's been unambitious. I think that's the that would be my main thing with the wrestling on this show so far. It's been unambitious. So there you go. Again, that shows the different, I suppose, different viewpoints from, from yourself and I. I agree with you that the wrestling itself hasn't been you know, anything spectacular or anything to write home about or anything memorable. But you're very much looking at it as a case of it's unambitious and that's what's causing it. I don't see that in depth from with my sort of, I don't know, untrained eyes or outside looking in potentially. I view it as just being dull. Sure. I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't necessarily tell you straight off the bat why it's dull, but I mm-hmm. know it is, if that makes sense. So both of these matches were very much following the seven steps which I've discussed before, but I'll, I'll yeah. break down like in, in depth now. So you start off, you've got your entrance and you establish your face and heel. 
you have your baby face shine, which is the bit where the baby face looks good at the start, usually using technical wrestling. If you're watching Richie Steamboat, it's catching those quick pinfalls, it's doing those arm drags. Yes. You then, you then get the cutoff, which is the big thing that tends to switch the momentum. In the case of Jinder and Richie, it was the stun gun, the hangman, whatever you want to call it. Um, then you have the heat, which with you know Jinder and Steamboat was very much just Jinder getting his licks in. He, he didn't have a very long heat on this one, actually. It was just sort of he, he had him in a hold. Um, then you get the comeback, which is fairly self-explanatory. It's the bit where steamboat bounced him around and then you wind up with the finish and mm-hmm. the finish is at the the bit that's a little bit more variable um but yeah it was very much that set formula and you saw the same thing with scotty and Heath, and so it, it's just when you have that and like very little deviation from it it it, it definitely strikes me as dull mm. like some something that I, i'll see a lot in like indies is so you've got the seven steadily steps and the thing is the heat section will be three hours long it will right. be long because it tends to be the bit that you can that you call in the ring and my god they go on and it's one-way traffic and by the point that the baby face actually does turn around to fight back everyone's asleep and no longer believe in the baby face because they've just taken such a kick in and in such a way that there's no fight left in them yeah. That when they suddenly like revive themselves, like people are happy, though probably a little confused because, well, this person was dead all of five seconds ago and all of a sudden they've spring, sprung back to life. I guess it's because it's their turn. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess as well, when you, when you say about the, the length of that heat section, <laughs> it, to me it comes back to a believability. The longer somebody is, whether we're talking in, in boxing or a, a proper fighter in, again, in a boozer or somewhere or whatever, the longer somebody is punched for, the longer somebody is is beaten up on for, the less likely the, the comeback section is to happen in, in reality. So does that, I think that kind of applies as well. The longer the heat section is in a wrestling match, is it more... Does it all have become a lot less believable when we get the comeback? Yeah. I mean, there's an element of that. It's also just how you do it, right? So if you just get hit with something and are like just colder than a wedge and showing no fight, no nothing, you're just down, you're getting beat up, you, there's just nothing about you. You're just a dead fish. <laughs> and then like, it's it's the same as if you're, say, if you're watching a real fight, and someone's taking a pasting, but they're keeping their hands up and they're getting the occasional shot in mm-hmm. or they're, you know, they're throwing out a few jabs. Um, and even beyond the mechanics, like you can just, you can just see it sometimes like in their eyes, like there's just more, more there. It, it's a very difficult one to under, to describe. It's a difficult one to understand. It's, it's one of the reasons why you don't see it uh, other than with the very tippy top in the industry. Um, but it's definitely something that's missing a lot of the time. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, the weirdness on this show, uh, for want of a better term, the oddness on this show carries on here with what we get next for me, because I don't think we need to have this match. I think this is a very, uh, I think this is a very early stage in NXT to be having this contest because we have the Ascension, who have been built up and built up over eight weeks of TV, 
even when they're not on television, they're still getting mentioned and they have video packages and so on. They're having a lot invested in them. And they're taking on the Usos, who are, as we mentioned on previous weeks, very established. Now, to me, this is a this is a match that should have been quite a big deal for when these two collide. And I'm thinking further down the road because I still want to see the Ascension running through people at this point. I don't want to see them doing anything different at the moment. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the only thing I'd say to that is, do you, this is a rematch. Well, yes, yes, I get that. But I mean, I feel okay, yeah. <laughs> with the Ascension, it's you, you'd the rather Ascension now is different to the Ascension back then, even though it's only eight weeks. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree with that. It's, um, I feel like the the first match with the Usos was definitely a launching pad. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't so much have a problem with this match happening. Um, as you said, it didn't need to be right now. Um, my problem was more with what happened. Okay. And just the, the finish, but we'll get there. I imagine. Yeah. Well, I was literally about to ask when you say what happened, are you referring to the finish? Cause that's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, if the Ascension, uh, if the Ascension won this clean mm-hmm. and it carried on their build, I guess the, the, the snowball effect they seem to be having at the moment with, with going through teams and so on. I don't think I'd have as much of a problem with what we're seeing. But the way the finish goes, first of all, it was an odd finish anyway, but the way the finish is, is, is booked to basically be a DQ. I know we're jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but I thought to myself, right, did we need to have this match then? Because surely we could have just had the Ascension against somebody else and see them smash them again. Would that not have got a, a more beneficial aspect to what the Ascension were doing, maybe? I understand that if they had the Ascension against the Usos again, that the Usos shouldn't get beat just twice straight without Mm. some sort of an out or some sort of an explanation. Um, I don't mind it if it's leading to something like for like the Ascension having an angle or a program with the Usos, I think it's great. It's good for both of them. Actually. I think um, the Usos at this stage are still there, but not quite. Um, the Ascension are definitely on the rise, pun intended. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's how they're getting there. I did not enjoy like the match for what it was, had a few things that I personally don't care for. Like there are different ways that I could do it with a more tag oriented, like focus. Um, okay. And when, when we get to the spots, I'll probably interject and tell you why they're bad and wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, that finish was real. Uh, it mm. just was real flat and was real confusing. And yeah, it comes back actually to enforcement of the rules. Yeah, this is what when I saw the finish uh, again, we'll get to that in a moment. When I saw the finish, I thought to myself, I know this is going to be good in an aspect because it is going back to enforcing of rules, which is something you, you and I discuss quite often. But mm. it was so out of the blue. It, it I almost felt like it was handled wrong, but we'll, we'll get to that momentarily. Um, a couple of things I want to I talk about here. We have the, the use. One of the usos is dropped onto a turnbuckle at one stage, and then that turns then into a neckbreaker. Now I thought that looked quite cool, mm-hmm. and then they were just stomped to crap, weren't they? And I think again, yeah. so simple, 
because the netbreaker was done as part of this sort of move coming out of the drop onto the buckle. It made sense because of where they were stood. And then the guy's on the floor and they just kick the crap out of him effectively. To me, yeah. that makes a lot of sense because it's just that that's what would happen naturally, I think. Yeah, sure does. I I have no problem with the ascensions. Like their offense is it's actually very different. While it doesn't seem to be, it's more sort of the pace they set. They set a very brisk pace. Like it's not rushed, but it's very, very speedy. It's a it's very much a barrage. It's constant. I would be interested to see how long they could keep it up for because so far their matches haven't been that long. But I reckon okay. they must be fairly fit to set that sort of a pace. Um in terms of the cutoff you mentioned, like I didn't hate it, but it was very much a solo deal. I feel like when you've got a tag match, that the best way to cut someone off is to utilize both tag partners. Mm. So yeah. to just have had so- just to have included something. So let's say J- Jimmy or Jared, I don't remember who. Sorry, Jimmy and Jay, I know you listen. Um <laughs> to have just had them on up on that second rope and to have just had i think it was connor on the apron to have just walked the line to just have walked along the apron to just provide the distraction yeah um given um christ i can't remember the name bram uh the opportunity to knock jay and and rupture his custard as william regal so yeah could. that that was brilliant <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, no you're right it, it doesn't take much does it just literally as you said walk along the apron uh whatever at least there's something there yeah and it just it utilizes the concept of a tag team match which is that you work as a team i mean yeah, really good point. Full, full of football analogies today now but you wouldn't have like just one football player just running the whole pitch and scoring a scoring a goal at least not on his own against an entire team mm-hmm. um you know even if you're doing stuff off the ball, you're still there. And so to use, utilize teamwork in a tag team match seems fairly obvious, but it's something of a lost art. Yes. Yeah, absolutely spot on. What a brilliant point. Uh, one of the Usos, and again, I'm going to do this for the next couple of moments when we're talking about this, this tag team contest, because I can't tell them apart at this point. Yeah. One of the Usos um, hits a Samoan drop. I thought that looked quite good. Mm-hmm. It's another gripe from me, though, Sai, because okay. because it set up the it set up the hot tag, right? Yes. Now, it's something of a misnomer when people do the tag in stereo that it's a hot tag. If you go back to like Jim Crockett and things yes. of that nature, that tag comes very much out of nowhere, and then the one guy, like the guy doing the hot tag, comes in and clears house on everyone. He clears house on both guys. Now, for whatever reason, the WWE don't like that. They they've kind of got a problem with it, so they'd rather have the one guy bump in, just the one. Um, but I do feel like it means that they just they're just flatter in their execution, right? So mm-hmm. wind the clock forward, way 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 forward to the revival, and you'll see that that's not the way they do things. Like they will both come in first off. The the hot tag will come out of nowhere. Whenever I think of the revival, I think of Jordan and Gable. But so Gable will slip through their both their legs, tag Jordan, and Jordan will proceed to annihilate everyone in sight, including the mm-hmm. reference in the way. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where people are like, "Why? Why are those matches so much better than these?" For example, I mean, other than the fact that they're actually given time and things of that nature, but that's the little things that make the difference. As that yeah. they actually, again 
I know it's a novel concept, but using the gimmick of the the team to your advantage. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why not not just that, but you know stuff you're pointing out there about the difference in what WWE does and what say Jim Cog Promotions did and, and and other tag teams nowadays may do elsewhere. I think that's why I don't really enjoy WWE tag matches because one i can't feel i can invest in tag matches in wwe because mm. i know the company's not massively invested and i know that as soon as i get on board with a tag team unless you do get the likes of the revival who then move on elsewhere whatever if you do invest in a tag team you know eventually even as, as soon as the following week's raw they're going to split them up so what's the point in getting invested but i then look at other tag uh, tag matches with other companies you know, the likes of Impact I caught some of this week, and there was some stuff on Impact I enjoyed. The likes of New Japan. I mean, they love a multi-person tag match in New Japan. Uh, and, of course, AEW is very tag-heavy as well. It just always feels different. And, again, I think it comes down to that thing of, I know it feels different, and I know what I prefer, but I can't always verbalize why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But you pointing out things like that, all of a sudden, it makes so much sense to me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not as if I woke up one day and was Nostradamus. I was, you know, shown these things and taught these yeah, things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, they are the things that, as a layperson, you won't know why something's good or something's bad necessarily. You'll just know that it is, mm. and it's things like that that lead to it, and that's why. For example, the Revival or FTR are the best tag team in wrestling right yeah, now. They're fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Let's get to the finish then, shall we? And if there's any other particular spots you want to bring up. <laughs> We've been putting it off, haven't we, Si? We have. <laughs> um, basically, Jey Uso I've got here. No idea if that note is correct, but I'll go with it. Jey sure. Uso goes to the top rope. And he's he's, he's going to you know attempt to move from the top rope into the ring. But the member of the Ascension who is on the outside pushes him off the top rope to the floor. And the referee instantly calls for a DQ. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate, as we said earlier on, we were sort of hinting at what we were going to talk about. That is enforcing rules that should be enforced. But I think that this hasn't, this particular rule or this particular style of, of approaching a DQ hasn't been done in so long. And I'm talking decades. Yeah. To have it all of a sudden put on television. I thought, yeah, just don't, just don't, just don't bother now at this point. Yeah, because technically that is within the rules. If the illegal man like strikes the legal man, that is an automatic disqualification in a tag match. However, much like a closed fist punch, it's very much a forgotten rule to the point mm-hmm. where you'd have people in the back who wouldn't necessarily know that was a rule. And that's not their fault. It's the fault of the fact that these rules have not been consistently enforced or explained by the commentary or explained by the booker. Again, it's a top-down theory, but I would have thought that that may have been, we need a way to finish this. Dusty, how do we finish this? Well, we'll do it this way because that's how we did it in 86 and no one went, Dusty, we haven't done that since 86. Yeah. (laughs) um personally if you wanted to have this match and you still want to get where they're going which was to have um jay taken out and then have double murder on jimmy um you just throw the match out like we've seen that a million times where it just gets out of control you know you've got everyone fighting on the floor everything just kind of gets thrown out by the ref i know it's not a 
satisfying finish. But if it's where you want to go, you don't want to have, you don't want to beat the Ascension. You don't want to beat the Uso as well. Then don't have the match have a finish. Um, have whoever take out Jay and then you've got Jimmy left alone to do what they did. Um, I think that's a finish that would have made more sense in the context of NXT. However, had it been 1986, this perfect, this finish would have been just perfect. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. 2012. Sorry, it was 2012. Yeah, it just seems to, I mean, the crowd as well, they didn't, I mean, don't get me wrong, they've been far from animated for this episode yeah. of NXT. Uh, beside, uh, aside from when Scotty Duhotty was in the ring, they've seemed not really bothered by anything. But this at least got a reaction out of them, as negative as it may well have been, or maybe confused is the word that it. it I mean, it confused me, Sai. And I, again, I've done wrestling, so you know, yeah. it says a lot about how inconsistent, just how inconsistent rules have been. And like, there's so many forgotten rules, and there was a reason the rules were in place. It was so. It, you know, it was storytelling devices because no, obviously yeah. it's, it's not real. So storytelling devices are exactly why we do it. Although there are other reasons, sorry to go off on another tangent. Do you know why the punch was made illegal? Uh, see, now I'm assuming it would be some sort of point of view of the punch is illegal because obviously the punch is, if you're punching, it's boxing and this is wrestling. That's how my mind works, but I've never really questioned it before. I've just always accepted that it is illegal. So I'll tell you why I why how it was explained to me. Um, you've been in fights, Sai. I've I've had a couple, yeah, in my time. <laughs> you've been in fights. In those fights, have you thrown a punch? Yes. Yes. So you know the effect a punch can have. Oh, on my own hand and the person I hit, yes. Correct. So if you're watching a pro wrestling match and someone gets hit 15 times in the face with a punch and their face is not marked up. Yep. Or, you know, so it's relatable to an audience, right? Mm. Most audiences don't know what a suplex feels like, but they probably know what it's like to be punched or to have their hair pulled or to maybe have their eye poked, right? So you take those things away so, so that people don't get to question, like, why has that man been punched four times in the face? His face is fine. The man's hand doesn't hurt. Mm. see this again it goes back to little things doesn't it we talk about this all the time little subtleties and so on when i see somebody throw a a a punch a clenched fist in wrestling the guy who gets hit does whatever he needs to do but the guy who has thrown the punch i instantly now always look for him just to sell his hand a little bit yeah because that tiny little thing makes such a difference for me sure Uh, because as you said if it were if it were real and you were punching someone in the face then yeah you'd notice that it hurts your hand Mm. on one occasion on one occasion i broke three bones in my hand throwing a punch well there you go listeners if you've never thrown a punch that's what it feels like and that's what it does Mm. yeah i mean don't throw a punch like me i must have got it wrong but bloody hell it did hurt um i was in plaster cast for six weeks it was fantastic uh interestingly enough the bones i broke had to be cast in such a way that my hand was at a 90 degree angle to my arm with my fingers pointing upwards so when i'm walking i looked incredibly camp all the time which was lovely um <laughs> serves me right for being a fool and fighting up time don't do it kids it's not big or clever yeah don't fight walk away exactly uh or if, or if you can't for, if you can't walk away throw a forearm 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Suplex up bastard. <laughs> no, Suplex D- up. DDT him. Respect the DDT. DDT him. <laughs> and respect that DDT. Tell him to stay down because yeah. it's DDT. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we get back to Richie Steamboat after this, don't we? And yeah, he's still got no charisma. He hasn't he hasn't learned anything more in the last 25 minutes. He so, doesn't want to talk about it, Si. He doesn't he want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. Often, <laughs> and, so, and so neither do I. Fair enough. I felt a little <laughs> bit sorry for our friend, the NXT consultant here, because he's chased the guy down the corridor, caught out of him and said, you know, what happened earlier on? And then he's just left on his own, staring at the camera again like a mug. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, actually, that was something that I want to pick up on. There were a few occasions where there were interviews going on and then someone just walks into the shop. Yeah. And so they must have been in the line of sight of the person delivering the interview. So were they not maybe expecting something? Like at the top of the show when you had Richie Steamboat like talking about how great an opportunity it was for him, for him to not have seen Jinder Mahal in all his regalia, including his bright red turban. <laughs> For him to not go, sorry, Briley, just a moment, mate. Can I fucking help you? I'm trying to cut Mm. a promo. Yeah. and Because there are two places that seem to be where these promos are cut over the last week or two. Um, Thinking of this show in particular, but it's similar to previous ones. There's this kind of locker room setup, which doesn't look like a small room. It looks like quite a proper, you know, like almost like a, I suppose for me, a rugby changing room or a football changing room would be my Mm sort of similarity to it from the scenario where I've been in. So it's quite a big room, quite a broad open space. So you're going to notice another human, exactly as you said, Joshua. Yeah. The other one seems to be in a corridor. Now that's one long line of vision. You're going yeah. to, no- nobody can hide in a corridor. It's not like there's a tree there to sort of crouch down behind or anything like that. It's- yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Jinder waited for the camera to roll, hiding behind like catering or something. And then once the camera was ready, he's like, I'm a march in, say things and ruin the yeah, moment for him. It's a bit daft, isn't it? It's a bit daft. It's it's uh, um it's the it's the whole idea of when something's out of shot that the characters can't see it. I rem- it was something they did in silent movies, and it worked for silent movies because they were silent movies. It doesn't work in 2012. No, this is true. This is true. Uh we have then Camacho and Unico, and they're making excuses for their upset defeat that we saw was it dalton and jordan last week jordan yeah celebrating so this match happened two weeks ago Mm. and and i i I like this because they're still talking about it they're still keeping it in your mind it's 15 seconds of television and it's it's told me a story this match happened the the team of dalton and jordan are very happy with their result. The following week, Camacho and Unico are almost embarrassed about what happened. And it's told that story in 15 seconds or less. I think that works really well. Yeah. It's those little breadcrumbs side. Mm. It's, it's stretching stuff out. So you haven't got to have people cutting 15 minute promos every week to get a point across. It also means that you can stretch stuff out. Like clearly, Dalton and Jordan are going to face Hunico and Camacho again at some point. It doesn't need to be next week. It doesn't even need to be the week after, but you know, it's going to happen. So it's in the back of your mind for when it does. Um, also, I thought it was such good shit. The, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, oh, I was sick. The excuses. It's such old oh, school. Some of the stuff they were saying, it was so good. But like old school heel, like, you know, you lose a match, you make an excuse. I bet you can't do it the next time. It's just, and there's a reason why it was done for years and years and years. It's because it works. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, see, I don't know if we're going to have a difference of opinion here or not, but you kind of know where I'm going, I think. The very next scene is something for me that doesn't work. And we have Raquel Diaz sat in front of a mirror just talking about her the ugliness tour again. Yeah. And I think, you know, we spoke about her a couple of weeks ago and you were saying about her her character and her gimmick and she's it's still very early days for her and so on. And I was saying, no, I don't like it. But I couldn't tell you why I don't like it. I think I might be onto something this time. Okay. I think it's her voice. I think it's as straightforward as that. And I find her voice grating and she just makes me angry, but not angry in a good way. Not angry as in this person is good at their job. They're getting me to boo them or dislike them. It's just, I don't want to see her. I feel genuinely cross when she's on my television. <laughs> I can understand that, Si. I can see exactly what you're saying. I imagine it is by design, but it sounds like maybe it's backfiring for you individually. Uh, I've been saying for weeks that she reminds me of Mean Girls and the character of Mean Girls. I've decided I'm wrong. Who she actually reminds me of was Sharpe Evans, who, if you don't know, was the villain from High School Musical. (laughs) Okay, right. I don't (laughs) think I've seen a High School Musical all the way through. You don't need to. Pro- it was probably the voice of Sharpe Evans turned you off, mate. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a very, it's a very irritating, grating character. I think she's doing the best she can with the material she's been given, mm. potentially the material that she's like made up herself. It's potentially the gimmick that she wanted to do. That being said, <laughs> it's only got mm. legs for so long, and also we've said in 2012 it's questionable in 2022 it's unacceptable yeah i'm just looking forward to Paige kicking her ass and hopefully we don't have to see her again (laughs) (laughs) it's i think that might be you may get your wish you may get your wish i hope so i hope so that brings us then to our main event the second semi-final of the gold rush tournament which is obviously staged by Jim Crockett Promotions in 1985 with that name. But it's the, it's the Mosh Pit Rockstar Seth Rollins, for goodness sake, versus the guy whose surname I have to blurt out or I will get it wrong, Michael McGillicuddy. Now, Very good. Very good. <laughs> that entrance by Seth Rollins is starting to grate on me a little bit but not anywhere near as much as hearing the commentators literally use that description. He has a mosh pit rock star mentality is the exact line used here. Yep. Whatever that is. No, <laughs> I've been in mosh pits. I'm not a rock star by any stretch of the imagination. Of course not, but I've been in mosh pits. I've been to more gigs than I can count. Uh, I've spent decades watching bands and festivals and going all over the country. Hence why I'm now officially going deaf. Apparently, Motorhead legit stole my hearing. Uh, but I don't know what a mosh pit mentality is. So I've only been in one mosh pit in my life. It was at some heavy metal um, New Year dealy. Uh, I remember getting <laughs> essentially very politely moved out of the mosh pit <laughs> because I knew that little about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not the guy to ask, but yeah, I don't know what a mosh pit rock star mentality is either. And you know what? I don't think Byron Saxton did. I think that line was fed to him. Mm, I think so as well. I mean, one thing that I did notice with regard, we're probably, you know, sort of put, paying too much attention to a tiny detail, but it, it just irritates me with Seth. He's swinging his arms around all over the place and then actively kicking his legs out. 
if you did that in a mosh pit, you would basically be moved to side. That maybe that's you, maybe yeah. that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you were channeling your inner Seth Rollins. I was you had channeling the, my inner Seth Rollins. <laughs> turns that out also, we knew. Turns out we knew all along. Also, you tend to find in these kind of places, everyone's there for the same reason. Mm. If somebody falls down, the people around you stop and pick you up. It's the way the way it is. I don't think that's a good thing for a wrestler. If Seth knocks his opponent to the floor, you don't want him to stop and pick him up. <laughs> well, we saw him do that a few weeks ago against Drew McIntyre, and the less said about that, the better. Oh, maybe that's what that was. That was his that's what off. that was. Oh, yeah. So in oh. that case, I I don't approve of the mosh pit rock star mentality because it doesn't respect the DDT. No, it does not respect the DDT. Oh, dear. Um, something else that I didn't quite get on board with, even though I completely agree with you, Jim Ross's performance in this match is far better than when he called the earlier semi-final. He certainly pepped up, yeah. Yeah. The match started. The bell rang. There was maybe two seconds on the clock. They had just tied up. And Jim Ross says, both are acting very cautious. And I was like, what? When? What? There's not time for them to act cautious. How have they acted cautious? It makes no sense. Yeah, I think, as I recall, he was referring back to the mistake that was made by um, young Richie Steamboat Mm. and how it led to his demise via the camel clutch, which incidentally, as I said, they're really getting that over. Did I mention that they gave it eight separate mentions during this show? Eight separate mentions to the camel clutch in what was it, four? five 46 minute show something like that so they were really trying to hammer home the idea that this camel clutch is terrifying um yeah i just (laughs) i got no issues with that though because then no 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 next time jinder snaps it on you're thinking oh strief something something is happening in front of your eyes yeah no absolutely it wasn't a criticism it was useful useful storytelling and again it's something that they've actually more so than the wrestling i think nxt have been really good at like just little bits of storytelling like you don't need to explain everything immediately you don't need to have the 15 minute promos as we've said you don't need mm. to then next week have another 15 minute promo and then they next week have another 15 minute promo i've become sidetracked <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you can do storytelling in a different way and i feel like they did with this episode yeah Rollins, I mean, we, you know, we, we get the we get the tire, we get a few you know moves back and forth. Rollins misses a, a kind of attempt at a stomp, but not a proper attempt. He's kind of yeah. sideways on, almost almost like a half kick, half stomp effort before yeah. McGillicuddy is sent to the outside, and we get a crazy dive from Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to lie; I don't know what I expected at that moment, but when Seth flew into my eye line on screen. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, that was um, a, a plus point for the production, which, you know, very rarely have I managed to do this series. But um, yeah, yep. Seth just flying out of left field into your screen was uh, very well done. Um, yeah, that whole spot, it started off with Michael McGillicuddy doing the, the big slap. Do you yes. recall? So, so it was started off with a bit of wrestling and got a little bit, agitated and then the slap and then there was escalation and it wound up with the stomp and again for me it was a good example of escalation so you start off with the chain wrestling you build to the next thing and it wound up with the big dive which again it's one of those things where people kind of miss it they go okay we'll do a bit of this we'll do a bit of that and then i'll hit a dive it's like okay why Mm. 
was covering those little things and they, they covered the why pretty well. And also this match was by far the most dynamic of anything that we'd seen. Oh. It had, it had ambitions. So it had. Ambition. Yeah. I totally get you. I totally get you. And what I also liked as well, and it comes back to that whole thing about throwing punches that we've been discussing quite a bit on this episode of Ryzen 4. When Seth and McGillicuddy get back into the ring, McGillicuddy enters first. Seth comes in, steps into the ring, and is clocked with a right hand, which sees Absolutely. Steph crumble. That I liked because it's a punch. Absolutely waffled him, and it would be yeah. a acceptable cut off, especially if no one else were doing punches, and especially if you could manage to do it behind the referee's back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spot and on. The, the thing that followed it up, Sai, was Seth lay completely unmoving as if he were knocked out. And instead of picking him up, Michael McGillicuddy went and pinned him. Mm. But wrestling match and he's trying to win. So it's yeah. not even respecting the DDT. It's just respect nah. the fact that you're trying to win. Respect the win. Um. Respect the win. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the crowd are a bit livelier here. And I, I think it is because, again, like you said, it, there's more. It, it's more dynamic. There's more going on. And I think what they're doing is just, just more exciting. It, it is a notch above. I think that you've also got the element of like, they've just, they're just more behind McGillicuddy and Seth. I think like mm. they like Seth. It's clear that they like Seth. The start of the show, there was signs all over the building saying like, you know, Seth for NXT champion. I think that they've just gotten, they've got, just got a little bit more behind them. Like McGillicuddy, I say, in my opinion, is probably one of the better workers on this show so far. Um, and Seth is a guy who comes with a lot of indie clout, and is very popular. So yeah. I think between the two of them, there was just the crowd were more engaged by it. Not and the fact that the work was just a cut above. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh we have an exchange of punches back and forth. Then we have I don't really know how to word it. It's it's almost like a, a belly to back suplex, but it's got a real snap to it. It was much quicker than what you'd normally expect from McGillicuddy onto Seth. Uh oh, that, is that the Saito suplex? I think. Yeah, yeah, but it, it seemed to have a lot more snap to it than than what I'm used to. It really stood out to me. Um, that running net breaker that we spoke about in previous weeks, he tried yeah. to hit this, but that was countered into a backslide. Now I bloody love a backslide. I don't think we see enough of those. They're a good one. Um, fun fact on that one is um, if you don't do them right, you can really jack up the other guy's neck. You really have uh, to lower. You really have to lower them down gently. I found that out when I was learning myself and I nearly uh, broke a good friend of mine's neck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they still they still occasionally remind me. Ah, well, in that case, they're still a good friend. So that's a good that's a good thing. Yes, they are still a good friend and they can still walk. So that's always a good thing too. Well, just plus points all round. Great story. Yeah, <laughs> Happy real, endings everywhere. <laughs> a real feel good story. <laughs> Uh, um, we then get to a stage where they uh, I say they, sorry, McGillicuddy and Rollins are battling on the ropes for, I, I suppose, position to try and uh, affect the other one with some kind of offensive move before Rollins effectively drops down and hits the, the buckle bomb, as it's now known, isn't it? That's all running powerbomb into the corner. What are your thoughts on that move? Because people have picked up injuries from that quite well known on television. So I, I think it is the first time we've seen the buckle bomb on NXT. Um, it does seem to be a controversial move. Um, there's no reason why it can't be safe. Uh, that being said, there's no reason why any move can't be safe. Um, 
that one did look pretty sketchy. Um, mm. And I think it is because it's, it's just sort of a, a dangerous move to take. Like there is a degree of difficulty to it and it can go wrong. And when it does go wrong, it can result in some serious injuries. We saw with Sting and, yeah. and others. Um, is it something I'd have in my repertoire? No. Um, I do also think it's really interesting that at this time, Seth was allowed to use the buckle bomb, but his finish on the Indies, which was a small package driver, was banned. Like, that was something they didn't want him doing. Um, it's another move that has a degree of, like an element of danger to it. Um, I'd probably consider it safer than a than a <laughs> buckle bomb myself. I'd be more happy to take it. Um, okay. But again, it's one of those things about um, WWE and their rules being somewhat arbitrary in the mm. same way as the Styles Clash was banned for X amount of time to begin with just because, presumably because Vince McMahon had heard bad things. Now, I'm not suggesting whether or not the Styles Clash is or isn't a dangerous move because there certainly have been people who've broken their necks doing it. Um, but the idea that like the pile driver for years has just been banned and is still banned and will probably continue to be banned, but then you've got poison ran as a perfectly acceptable or canadian destroyers for example which is literally the same move yeah yeah i get you okay i mean that that right that, that brings up quite an interesting point in my head with regards to certain moves and the, the danger factor because obviously there are more moves that that there are some moves i suppose that are more risky for want of a better term than others of course Again, outside looking in, my mindset sometimes when I look at certain moves is I don't want anyone taking an unhealthy risk for purely for my entertainment as a fan. I'm, I'm not about that. However, I do enjoy seeing crazy shit on my TV screen. That gets a reaction from me. So how does that work with regards to, I don't know if you can speak to in general or just a personal standpoint from your time in the ring. But with regards to moves, the payoff from the crowd in comparison to the risk level, is this something that enters people's minds? I mean, I'll, I'll give you one example. The the dive that we see quite often, and Daniel Bryan is one that stands out in my head, where they run and they dive between the top and the middle rope. Now, we've seen, especially on AEW television in recent months, we've seen numerous people mistime that and hit crowd barriers, hit the floor, um, their opponent is in the wrong position, they've landed on their neck or their face. Now, I don't care if I never see a dive like that again, because I don't, as crazy as it looked the first time I saw it, it's been used so much now, that Y factor has almost been diluted for me. I don't see the risk as being worth the potential payoff from the audience is that something that enters into the mind of people who are wrestling or is it just a case of i like this i'm going to do it or am i completely miles away from what i'm thinking it certainly entered my mind um i had no interest in winding up in a wheelchair um my particular style wasn't especially high risk um referring to the uh, suicide dive um mm -hmm. As you said, it's become blasé at this point, so you're not even getting a massive reaction for something that is fairly risky when you are putting yeah. your body... You, not only are you putting your body at risk, you're putting the body of your opponent at risk, and you're also putting your entire well-being into the hands of your opponent at that point, which obviously we do a lot of the time, but with something like that, 
mistakes can be made on the part of the guy catching you that aren't like necessarily the fault of the guy catching you, mm-hmm. but the results of a mistake can be life life altering, life ending, in fact. You yeah. Know? So um yeah, and but to answer your question about is it something that everyone thinks about? No, absolutely not. Some people just do it. And some people just do it simply because they've seen it on telly. Um, like there there are a lot of guys who uh do stuff simply because like they've seen it or they want to be that cool guy they want a reputation or they want to be seen as tough or whatever i mean i've i I remember the time when i was involved in an angle with someone uh and i hit them over the head with a steel chair right okay and beforehand i made it certain to them that you know they should be getting their hands up and they did not they chose not to do that um is is it something that they should have done no is it something that helped the angle no is it something that did anything other than potentially kill some brain cells of theirs no i'd say not and i also think especially nowadays in like the days where we we actually understand cte that sort of shit should never happen. That being said, it was something that they saw on TV and thought was cool. So that's what they did. Uh, I think that was bad and wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting. These little things that pop into my mind and, and sort of trying to get a, a general feeling from yourself and your experiences to that. Uh, and again, it's strange because watching an, an AEW pay-per-view many, many months ago, not a recent one. It's quite a while back. Me and Sharon were having that conversation. My wife, Sharon, were having that conversation after a particular mm-hmm. dive. And I was saying, I just don't see why they do it anymore. Because to me, the payoff isn't worth the risk. Well, the other thing as well is this is still storytelling. And you can get so much out of so little. Mm-hmm. Like, even even today. Like, I know we've said the audience has changed. But at the same time, they really haven't. I'm, I'm reminded of Clash of the Castle with uh, Roman and uh, Drew. Like, if you actually look at that move for move, they did, they kept it safe as houses. There was, there wasn't anything that they did that was especially, I don't know if Drew maybe did his plancher, like his big dive over the top. If he did, that moves actually fairly safe in the fact that the worst thing that happens is you land on your feet and hurt your heels. Um, But yeah, it's proof that you don't need to drop yourself on your head like ever to get a response. You can you can still have a safe wrestling match and let the story and the emotion carry. You don't have to have fireworks or like exclusively fireworks, which is yeah. I think something that we get a lot of today. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, effectively, after that that buckle bomb, we do get the the stomp and Rollins wins. He's having a bit of a, a, a sort of mini mosh effort for his celebration. Uh, Jinder arrives. And as Jinder comes out, then Dusty arrives. Now that surprised me. I didn't expect to see Dusty. No, no. It's always nice to see Dusty, even if he was in a terribly fitted suit. Yeah. <laughs> God, it looked, know, looked like a tent. I don't want to see Dusty in a suit ever. I want to see Dusty <laughs> in a tatty t-shirt, um, a, a pair of dirty jeans and a pair of cowboy boots. That's Dusty Rhodes to me. Uh, just, just stick him in polka dots for me. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Eventually, Jinder does enter the ring and Rollins basically sends him packing. And we set the scene for next week's show, which is the the final of the tournament and the crowning of the first NXT champion. So that's really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing. 
I am. I'm also looking forward to that. I didn't. Did they say that it was next week? I didn't know it was. Oh, well, I'm assuming. <laughs> ah, well, you know what they, make, what they say about assumption. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. So hopefully I am correct. Otherwise, I've just given a complete, you know, wrong direct, <laughs> misdirection on our own show. Never mind what happens on NXT on the network. Um, so that was the end of the show. So I suppose we better give it our, our summary, I guess, our reviews, our good points and our bad points and so on, our soft and our glorious. There's only one word to describe you! Glorious! You're soft, you slap. Uh, do you want to go first or second, Joshua? I will go second, sir. Okay, no problem. I will start with my soft because I always like to finish on something positive. And my soft is the finish to the tag team match. I just didn't like it whatsoever. Yeah, I um, it was certainly up on my list. It's not um, the one that I've got. But yeah, it was definitely, it took a match that I was enjoying and made it blah. Mm. Also, I, now the more, the more I think about it, I could have quite easily just gone for Raquel Diaz as well. But I'll stick with the tag match. I'll stick with the tag match. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what about yourself? What's your soft? Uh, my soft is Sleepy JR in the uh, Jinder Ritchie match. I think knowing how good JR is, he could have taken a match that was kind of middling and meh and made it good. Mm-hmm. And I think he just snoozed through it and chose not to. So he hit, he hit snooze on that match. He, sh- he showed up for the main event. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Uh, glorious wise, for me, it's it's quite simply Seth Rollins. I think he was an absolute cut above everything else that we saw on this show. It was that it was that straightforward. Really, I don't need to go into more details. I think he was that much. Uh, McGillicuddy as well. The whole main event in general, I guess. But I'm a big Seth fan, and I just think that that match and Seth just looked a cut above everything else that we'd seen in the previous 45 minutes. Yep, couldn't agree more. That is my glorious is Seth and Michael McGillicuddy. Um, it was the only match that did more than the bare minimum, in my opinion. Although, when you think about it, there was a lot of just punching and kicking, which isn't necessarily something that normally gets a rise out of folk, especially now when they talk about work rate. But they did a lot with what they with what they had, and it all made sense, and it all looked good. And it was a lot of little things that took it from being okay to being really quite a good match. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, hit, miss, or middle in, then, my friend. It is the lowest of possible middlings for me. And okay. the only thing that stopped it from being a miss for me was the storytelling in between the matches. Because for me, the wrestling was mostly pants. Right. See, for me, it's a miss this week. I'm not sure if I've given a miss yet on the show. I don't think I have. Mm. I'm not sure. But it's a miss for me. Uh, in my mind, I could quite happily never go back and watch this show again. And I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd maybe watch Seth and McGillicuddy, but otherwise, mm-hmm. no, yeah. as, as I said, the, the only thing that saved it for me was that they had a little bit of the storytelling and that was somewhat interesting. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So then do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can track you down online, my friend? Joshua Goodwin PW on Twitter, uh, Joshua Goodwin on Facebook. Uh, I'm probably hanging around the back of the bin somewhere the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, hiding, hiding behind the bin in a corridor, waiting to jump out on your opponent who's cutting a promo. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, hit him with a big DDT. Yeah, exactly. Respect the DDT. Um, 
<laughs> you will also want to be following SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook, where you can get links to this show and all the other shows that the network has. Plenty of wrestling there, plenty of sci-fi, plenty of TV coverage, loads of shows coming up, more shows, more shows arriving very soon. As uh, I don't know if anyone remembers it. There's a Murder in Mind podcast that may actually be with you by the time this episode drops. There's a few episodes of that already in the can. Looking forward to that one coming out. We've got more from Tyler Peters and Scottish Danny on the Back When show for Halloween. Again, probably eight by the time you hear this. But yeah, looking forward to that as well. The Doctor Who pod. I mean, there's so much there. I can't even list it. But you ask what you need to be doing. You need to be following at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe everywhere. Subscribe on your Spotify, your Apple Music, your your, your Amazon account, your, your Stitcher, whatever it is you use to listen to your podcast. Subscribe. Leave us a review and go from there. Uh, but also this show specifically, you can follow on Twitter at NXT underscore rise and fall That's at NXT underscore rise and fall. Chuck us a follow. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you're watching along with us. Let Joshua and I know your thoughts on what we're saying and what you're seeing on the television as well. And uh, yeah, just let us know what you reckon so far. Joshua, I'm looking forward to next week, my friend. I've had an absolute blast once again talking to you this week. Next week, I think we're going to get a new champion, if I'm right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I guess uh, time will tell. We won't, hold it tell. we won't hold it against you if we don't. Yeah, okay. That's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Yeah, see you later, man. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.